Hello, hello, guys. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening to this week's NTT20 betting show with Ali Maxwell and with George Ellick. The sound of the start of our weekend, if not yours, uh, that's for sure. George, how are you getting on? I'm very good, mate. How are you? Yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. It's been a good week. It's been a good week, but I'm not disappointed that it's nearing its conclusion. Put it that way. I'm looking forward to a bit of uh, Sky Sports action with you on Friday night. And it's a double header for me this weekend, actually, uh, on Quest on Saturday night as well with Clinton for the full two hours. So lots to look forward to, but hoping to chill certainly tonight and uh, and for most of Friday as well. George, this betting show is sponsored by our friends at SpreadX. Yes, indeed. Another SpreadX-sponsored show. Annoyingly, the first of the NTT20 special Ackers didn't land. It wasn't our finest week last week. But the good news, maybe, is that this week it is a fivefold rather than a sixfold because Ali and I are sharing a selection. So do go back and you can find the fivefold. It'll be up there. Hopefully, by the time this podcast goes out, it'll be boosted prices. So the best place to back it, max bet a fiver. And also at the end of the podcast, we're going to be having a bit of a chat about the podcast itself. Uh, we had a review a couple of weeks ago, which flagged up a couple of issues. So we just wanted to, in the name of transparency, um, because it's important with betting shows to be responsible and especially with spread betting as well. So at the end, there'll be a little chat there. If you're only here for our bets, uh, then do turn off at that stage. Uh, as well as enhancing our selections in a fivefold this week. SpreadX is still offering a bet 10, get 10 sign-up offer for anyone listening to the pod who is not a SpreadX customer. Head to spreadx.com slash NTT20 to see the full terms and conditions of that offer. But bet 10, get 10. It it really is very obvious to understand. Um, and we thank them for that offer and for their sponsorship of this podcast. As you say, George, last week was really poor. The good news was your nap of Barnsley was a winner and one of my picks Bolton was a winner but certainly elsewhere it was slim pickings Mansfield Colu not doing the business for you Brentford goals not doing the business for you and Will Grigg as if to make matters worse you picked him first goal scorer and he did score but he didn't score first in that game <laughs> uh, as for me my Swansea nap was an absolute disaster as they got tonked by Huddersfield uh, Plymouth didn't get up for me either the Grimsby game that I was quite excited about that that long shot was postponed and no centre-back luck sadly please remember that Gambling comes with significant risks. We'd like you to understand the risks and we'd point you in the direction of BeGambleAware.org for those risks. Please don't bet, guys, more than you can afford to lose. Now, let's see what the weekend docket has chucked up for us, George. I'd be keen to know what your best bet is. What is your nap? My nap is Watford to beat Bournemouth in what sounds like a lower half of the Premier League bet. Um, yeah, it's eight to five with spread X and it kind of comes for two reasons. It's quite, I mean, the price itself is obviously factoring in because a few weeks ago, Bournemouth would have been kind of significant favourites for this one. But um, I just think Bournemouth under Jonathan Woodgate are, are basically falling off a bit of a cliff here. Um, the performances and the results are, are starting to turn. I'm not necessarily convinced the performances were particularly good in the games that they did win. Um, you know, the, the the Rotherham game, the Birmingham game, the best I've seen them play, as I said before, was in the FA Cup against Burnley. Uh, the the data supports what we're seeing um, before midweek. They were second bottom for the XG ratio tables with 34%. Um, and uh, for the last eight games, fourth bottom with 40%. They are not creating very much going forward. They are porous at the back. And a team who doesn't create very much going forward 
on average under one expected goal per game coming up against a, a Watford side who who laugh at, at attacks like that <laughs> um is going to be it's going to be difficult for them because you know whilst Watford's uh the manner of their victory midweek was a bit different to usual a 3-2 win against the Blackburn side who do have you know a lot of proficient attacking talent so maybe not a massive surprise that's how it went it does seem like this switch to a 4-3-3 is getting the best out of loads of players I mean certainly Will Hughes's form at the moment has Watford fans absolutely purring in the middle of the park playing in the middle of that three with Cleverly to his right and then it was Gosling on on uh, midweek to his left Semmer and Starts are both enjoying being much more kind of inside forwards, I guess, rather than out and out wingers in a 4-4-2. Jao Pedro proving that he is, as we thought he was at the beginning of the season, an elite player at this level and someone who can do a bit of everything, whether it's carrying the ball in wide areas, whether it's scoring goals, whether it's assisting goals, as he did both. I did I did see week. something interesting on Twitter. Um, Lou, who's a Watford fan who we follow, absolutely right to say that it, it should be being pointed out probably more what Jao Pedro is doing at his age, at just mm. 19. I think... Because of what he did in those first few weeks of the season, you and I almost got our like João Pedro love. It was established. We talked we were to, in too early. Yeah, we were in so early. We talked about him <laughs> on a few pods. We talked about him on Sky, and then it felt a little bit like, yeah, yeah. Well, this is you know obviously João Pedro is doing great things, and it, that's that's not the way that we should look at it. It should be continuously quite astounding that someone at his age, um, having moved over from Brazil. Ah, for a significant transfer fee, really is ripping it up. And he's got so many attributes and qualities that that probably don't get attributed normally to Brazilian strikers playing in England. So brilliant stuff. And and I think stylistically as well, if you look at the game in midweek that Bournemouth had against Cardiff, they had 69% possession, which isn't a a surprise at all. That just plays massively into Watford's hands, who are going to be so happy to sit in, so happy to sit in their kind of bank of four with, with the two sitting in front. And um, and then you've got Sema, João Pedro, and uh, and Saar playing on the counter with both Cleverly and uh, and Hughes having the ball playing ability to find them. It, I, I just really struggle to see why Bournemouth will be able to break Watford down significantly. I mean, you know, they might be able to fashion a few opportunities to get a goal, but in my book, where you know, in my opinion, Watford are, are quite clearly the better side at the moment, the team who are more likely to win this game uh, and the odds, presumably because Bournemouth have whatever home advantage is, a bit of a bit of that factored in. The prices aren't too different. Watford very marginal favourites. Um, you look at what Woodgate, what happened with Woodgate at Borough, there is sadly zero evidence that Jonathan Woodgate is deserving of the Bournemouth job and zero evidence that he is somebody who can get this group of very talented players. I, I'm anybody who's saying, you know, it's not the manager, it's the players. They're not as good as everyone thinks. I'm not buying it at all. A capable manager, you know, as we're seeing with, for example, Mick McCarthy at, at Cardiff, a capable manager can improve teams very, very quickly. And I think Bournemouth have massively missed a trick by not doing that. I think they're in danger of, of falling away from the playoff picture, not just long term, but very, very quickly as well. Um, I've actually sold their points today with SpreadX at 71.5. So uh, they would need 20, I think it's 22 and a half more points to the end of the season, uh, averaging about 1.6 a game. I think if you offer Jonathan Woodgate that now, he'd be absolutely, you know, he'd be, he'd be thrilled if they get to that. Um, so yeah, Watford, the bet here for me at eight, eight to five. Yeah, my nap's also in the championship, uh, Dastardly league that it is. Uh, I'm picking QPR to win at Birmingham at six to four with SpreadX this weekend. QPR, as we know, have been on excellent form, and I think what elevates it 
even higher is that this hasn't been a case of playing a ton of teams down the bottom and getting the better of them, but actually it's been a really tough run of fixtures that QPR have had. They've played Watford, then Blackburn, then Brentford, then Bournemouth. They won all four of those games. And in midweek against Preston, potentially ran out of steam a little bit in a nil-all draw. Preston, very difficult to predict at the moment. And it was, I think it's fair to say, a uh, a low-margin game. <laughs> Quite a boring game it was. Mm. I suppose that, that's the first thing to, to mention as a bit of a concern. If they looked a little tired and they were struggle, they struggled sort of creatively against Preston it's 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 not surprising and it's not ideal for the bet I, I must admit I can't imagine that Birmingham their opposition will be full of beans either after chasing Norwich City around all night uh, on Tuesday as they lost 3-1 to the league leaders I think who had two-thirds of the ball around 66% possession um, and this is you know as as much as I'm eating a lot of humble pie when it comes to QPR at the moment this is as much about Blues as it is QPR I mean, genuinely good performances from Birmingham are really hard to find if you look back over the last few months. Funnily enough, you just spoke about Bournemouth. They lost 3-2 to Bournemouth, didn't they? And in that game, looked quite good. Actually played pretty well, I thought, um, and caused Bournemouth some problems, but still lost that game. Outside of that, there's a lot of really grim, gritty stuff. I mean, the, the thing that springs to mind at the moment when I think about Birmingham is... When we ask for our Sunday scouting reports, um, the, the messages that we get about games involving Birmingham, mostly, probably two thirds of them tend to come from Blues fans, are just so open about how dour it is and how, I think even in their last two wins, certainly last weekend against Sheffield Wednesday, where they won 1-0, there was nothing in the game apart from a contentious red card, basically. And then Hogan um, made the most of it with, with a good finish and a good run across the, uh, the centre-back to finish. But... Even in their wins recently, we've been getting messages saying, don't overreact to this. It's been poor. We've nicked a game that had nothing in it, basically. So that's what they're doing to games. Um, it, it doesn't fill me with confidence that they're going to be able to pick up the amount of points that they need to, to move away from the relegation zone. So I think they're going to be in a scrap right to the end. They've had this real issue at St Andrews this season. I mean, trying to work out what home advantage means or doesn't mean this season has been driving me around the bend. What I can say is that they've lost 11 of their 16 games at St Andrews. So are they more suited in the way that Karanka likes to set up to be in the away side? I could probably buy that. I could probably buy that. Um, and here they are at home to QPR this weekend. So, I mean, as you know, I hadn't really rated QPR much this season. Not necessarily to the extent that I thought they were a terrible side, but certainly in terms of punting on them, I was finding them quite hard to trust. Uh, Warburton's teams I've never been too convinced about defensively um, as I've said many many times but they're, they've done a lot better recently and those wins haven't been fluky wins the performances have been good their January additions have made a real impact um, both Johansson in midfield and of course Charlie Austin up front as well and I think not just not just to pin it on those two players Warburton to his credit has instantly found a system and drilled his team in that system that has brought about improvements both going forward and at the back. Um, a three-at-the-back system which allows Ilias Chair to play in the hole with two strikers in front of him. Johansson and normally a ball in midfield, kind of patrolling and recycling the ball, um, getting it into Chair's feet, ideally um, for him to create. And the wing-backs have been excellent as well. It, it feels like the way that Warburton's got them set up is getting the best out of Kane and Wallace as well. So well done to Warbs. He's right to say in his interview last week that they are better when they play on the front foot. 
I think they will be allowed to do so this weekend. They they still need to prove, I guess, um, that they that they can break down teams who who sit in, who sit deep, who make it tough for them. That's what I'm sure Birmingham will choose to do this weekend. Um, but they need points themselves, so you know they are going to have to go for it to a certain extent. And I think that would play into QPR's hands. Uh, I basically want Ilias Chair to set up Charlie Austin. That would make me very happy. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, I don't expect this to be an absolute thrashing um but i think qpr at six to four good value to win at, uh, at birmingham this weekend that's my best bet that's my nap uh, next best for you next best for me is chanmere to go and do a job at orient <laughs> at six to four with spread x i mean orient are a grim now and we're entering that phase in the season <clears throat> with kind of 20 odd games left where i don't think orient are gonna trouble anybody in the top seven and they are not going to be going near the relegation zone it feels like their season is slowly petering into not very much and the 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 results the performances kind of reflect reflect that they are a very very dull side as it stands at the moment you look at their recent results um They've they lost six games. They've lost one nil. They lost two nil. They drew nil 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 one all one nil defeat the last one. So they're winless in six. I think a lot of Orient fans and a lot of people expected the return of Danny Johnson to trigger something because it was his injury that kind of started the beginning of the malaise. But um, as we've spoken about before, Danny Johnson was scoring goals at, a, at an unsustainable rate. You know, the goals that he scored at the 16 order, whatever it is, came from about six expected goals. Um, so it was always fairly unlikely that he was going to continue scoring at that rate. He's only had two full games back, it's fair to say, but he hasn't scored yet. And I don't think it's fair to expect his return to trigger something much improved. They they are defensively still pretty sound. It's important to say that their home record generally has been very good in League Two this season, even though um, they have haven't won in their last three. But not many teams do beat them, um, and they had a, you know, an incredible winning run previously in the season. But their last three games at home have been against Forest Green, Colchester, Port Vale, just two points taken, and they're coming up against a Chanmere side who've gone to a team in midweek in Carlisle who a kind of a better version of Orient, a team who don't get beaten very much at home, a team who are very, very good at, at, at preventing the opposition from from scoring goals. And Tranmere managed three of them and, and beat Car- Carlisle in that game in midweek. Tranmere are, are just trending very much the right way under Keith Hill. Um, he's doing a, a brilliant, brilliant job there. I'm delighted to see it. I still remember Tranmere fans not being too pleased when he was appointed. Um, you know, he's a, he's a very, very canny operator at this level. And he's got a team full of canny operators as well. You know, David Nugent getting the assist for James Vaughan for that for that winning goal in midweek was great. Jay Spearing starting to do what I think a lot of Tranmere fans hoped when he first came in uh, and kind of running the show in midfield. James Vaughan banging in the goals. Uh, Kane Willery proving to be a very good foil for Vaughan as well. So there, there isn't a massive reliance on Vaughan for the goals. Um, they're just a very, very effective lead two sides in their current guys, full of experience and nous and know-how as well. Uh, and I think they are decent value here to go to a team who are a bit down on their luck, whose early season form may not have been uh, the most sustainable, and that's playing out in front of our eyes now. So, uh, Chamir to get a win at Orient at six to four is my second selection. I think you're full of experience and now some know how. 
Uh, Thanks very much. I think you're the Tranmere Rovers of EFL podcasting, actually, and I've always said it. Um, Thanks, mate. Very kind. Yeah, my next best is, well, it's actually a joint one, so let's get into it. I'll talk to you first about why I've chosen Exeter to beat Crawley in League Two, and then you can tell me why it caught your eye as well as a selection. Um, Six to five with Spread X. I mean, it's interesting because we often come at these from slightly different angles. So I'll just run through something that I found quite interesting looking at Crawley, George. Max Waters, right, is obviously going to be the headline name outside of Yemsi uh, when talking about this Crawley season. But it's just such an interesting... Well, I found it interesting earlier to basically try and dig into the numbers of with and without Waters because I think there's been an obvious line during Crawley's poor run over the last month, it's like, well, they lost Waters. And, you know, if you're a mid-table team and you suddenly get a striker that scores with one in every two and a half shots, scores 1.14 goals per 90, obviously you're going to go on a good run. And you might think that they'd get way worse when he left. But actually, they haven't changed that much in terms of results with or without Mm. uh, Waters. The one thing that's very different, obviously, is that they aren't scoring as many goals. In his 15 games, they scored 26 in total, which is getting towards uh, two per game. And in the 13 games where Waters hasn't featured this season, they've only scored 12. But the difference in points is is fairly negligible, which I thought was interesting and a little surprising. Um, In what I'm calling the Waters shed... Um, they won five, drew six, and lost four. So they got twenty-one. The Waters shed. <laughs> they got. Tw- I just got it. <laughs> they got twenty-one points um, from fifteen games with him, which is one point four points per game. It's not actually that impressive a return. The pre and post Waters shed. Uh, they've. Wow, I'm so pleased with that. They've won. <laughs> they've won five, drawn two, and lost six, which is seventeen points from thirteen, which is one point three points per game. So genuinely, very little difference between the two. The thing that's been pretty consistent throughout is that they're one of the poorest defensive teams in the league. That stacks up across the whole season, uh, numbers-wise, underlying numbers. Their XG against is poor from open play uh, and in total. On their day, we think of Crawley as being excellent going forward, but they haven't scored more than one goal in a game in their last seven, George. So I think this was, this was for me, a realisation or, or an, sort of an updating of my rating of Crawley and bumping them down quite a lot. And then Exeter, um, the jury's still out a little bit for me in terms of automatic promotion for them. I think they need to impose themselves a little bit. But against teams 14th and below, an eight-win, two-draw, two-defeat record, that was enough for me to make them a next best. Uh, And even with Ryan Bowman now suspended, I think that the class will show here. That's kind of what I'm going for. Yeah, it's hard to disagree with any of that. I'm not massively on board with Exeter, but I do think that they are just a better footballing side than Crawley. I think Crawley's form recently is pretty troubling. Um, they seem to, I mean, it's still, they've played, what is it, 28 games. So it's too early to to talk about coasting. But I think in League Two, you know, if, you, if you think at the end of seasons, you have that period of time where suddenly the teams who have nothing to play for are like seven to one and the teams who have something to play for are heavily odds on. And, that, you know, you can understand why because one has a reason to do well and the other doesn't. In League Two, it feels like that anecdotally happens like, 20% of that happens earlier because realistically, even if Crawley and Nathan Orient fans, these are the two examples I'm using here, will still believe that they are going to get, they, you know, they can get a couple of wins and get into the playoffs. Realistically, they don't, they're not good enough. Like they don't have the quality to do that. They have no January to make improvements. It would take a massive, massive hike in performance levels in order to get them there, even if they are only eight or nine points off. Like I'm just not having it. And so 
and and they're so much so they're so clear of relegation that I feel like that malaise, even if it's not as significant as literally having nothing to play for, maybe comes in a bit early. And that feels like what's it's what's happened with Crawley. You know, they had their cup run as well, which is such a buzz. They had that incredible game against Leeds. They then went down fighting against Bournemouth, and now this is it, and they've lost their top scorer. And there's not a great deal else to get excited about. There aren't fans in the stadiums. Um, so and, and their performances are that of a team who just are coasting effectively, coming up against the side in Exeter who are, who are chasing promotion and have a good record, as you say, against those down towards the bottom end of the table. Um, so yeah, I'm with you. I'm I'm all on all on Exeter for this one. It's a double next best <laughs> for the betting show um, up the Grecians. That one's an early kickoff on Saturday, one o'clock. I'll be in a quest to watch that one, keeping a beady eye on proceedings. And my next next best is well it's Northampton to beat Swindon in what is one of quite a few relegation six pointers at the moment in League One with with seven teams basically desperately trying to be in that group of three that doesn't get relegated to League Two um a, a big price thing I think uh, a 15 to eight to back Northampton here because on the face of it George this is me backing a team that's won one game in their last 15 league games to win um and Generally, this is just a chance to get against Swindon. Um, I'm not reading a huge amount into what has been admittedly quite a good week. They beat Crew last weekend. Uh, I mean, a, a real smash and grab, you have to say. Um, coaxing a, a comedy-owned goal out of a poor young Crew defender uh, and getting one right at the end. And I think, you know, balance of play, you wouldn't pretend, and nor did the Swindon fans, that this was a, a game in which they were, you know, equal to their opposition. Just one of those... One of those ones that goes your way, which hasn't really been the case for the majority of Swindon's games in the last few months. Then in midweek, uh, a better performance, I'd say, to draw 2-2 at Lincoln. Um, bit of a, a switch up in system for Sheridan recently. He's gone to a three at the back and it's kind of worked a little bit better. And then he he, he had to take off Dion Conroy at half-time um, against Lincoln, picked up an injury that he said was either an ankle or an Achilles, which I, I thought was <laughs> quite funny. I mean, they're, it, I suppose... it, it begins with A. <laughs> yeah, I suppose they're quite close together, but I feel like the I feel like very different injuries to pick up. So I don't know if Conroy will be in or out for this game. Him missing, I think, would be a big blow for Swindon, even if he has got a bit of a mistake in him. I, I don't really rate their centre backs in general. Um, and interestingly, George, the the Hitman Pitman up front for Swindon. He's been doing quite well recently, but he's played five 90s in a row. And you can't tell me that the Hitman Pittman isn't pretty knackered right now. And I'm hoping that he might not be at his best uh, against Northampton. Um, but also it's about Northampton. And really, it's just a stance that I think Northampton, since they've sacked Keith Curl, have gone from being about as bad as you can get to being slightly better. So I think there's a win on the horizon. I think it's this weekend. Um, they've only picked up two points in their four games under the caretaker John Brady, but I've seen a spark in the bits that I've watched and I can see a little bit of a spark, signs of life in the underlying numbers as well. Before Curl left, they went seven straight games generating less than one expected goal uh, in those individual games. An absolutely pitiful return. I think they only scored one goal in seven or eight or even nine games. So that kind of summed it up. And there's been some improvement in the underlying numbers, um, which hasn't really translated into goals yet, but I think it 
I think it could do. I think it will do. And in his first game in charge, they switched to 4-3-3 against Burton. They started really well, should have taken the lead, and then sort of petered out a little bit. Against Ipswich, they got a point, a really gritty, grotty, nil-nil draw. They had a crazy game against MK Dons where they lost 4-3, having been ahead and behind and level. Um, that is how it works in football. <laughs> um, and then against Rochdale, back to nil-nil this weekend, but clearly the better side. Dale barely had a sniff of the of the Cobblers' penalty area at all. And I think had they won that game, there couldn't have been too many complaints. So I'm hoping to get in front of, of, a, of a Cobblers' win. I've been really impressed with Mark Marshall, the winger, um, I mean, he was bombed out under Keith Curl, basically. Um, but this switch to four at the back or four three three seems to have given them a boost going forward, and Marshall's been at the heart of that. Now, one thing that also really caught my eye, for what it's worth, um, there was a poll run by a, a Northampton Town Twitter account asking on who fans would like to be their next manager. There were four candidates, one of which was Danny Cowley. He won with 45% of the vote. Brady, Brady was there, got 44% of the vote. So, wow. I mean, uh, I mean, he, he's a he's a Brackley legend. He's a Brackley legend, and evidently the Cobblers fans agree with what I'm saying that there's been a, there's been something to suggest that 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 Northampton under Brady can start to pick up points that their performances have improved. So that's what I'm hoping for against a, a, a Swindon side under Sheridan that I think are poor, that I think just have a pretty poor atmosphere around the place as well. Um, I'm trying to get in front of a Cobblers win, so just a shade under two to one, fifteen to eight with Spreadex. Uh, is my next next best, uh, which might end up looking pretty stupid because I keep coming back to the fact that I'm backing a team that's only won one in 15. That's what that's it's all okay, about. Hey, mate, that's what you got to find. You can't just back all the ones with W's next to their name. Have you got a bonus selection for me? Yahtzee bonus. Do you ever play, do you ever, do you ever play Yahtzee? I've never played Yahtzee. Have you not? I, I honestly couldn't even tell you anything about the game other than you shout Yahtzee do you shout Yahtzee at a certain not time? Really. It's not like Uno. No, no, you just kind of say it if you got it. Yahtzee bonus. Is so when you don't you shout two, it. You literally just say it. Yahtzees. Well, you, you can shout it if you want. You that don't... word is made to shout. And like, surely if it's a game, if it's competitive, surely the juices are flowing. You give it a little extra, don't you? You're not just sitting <laughs> yeah, there. You go like... You definitely could. Do, I mean, a, big I think, yawn, I normally... do a big yawn and then go, Yahtzee. Interestingly, though, it's a bit like darts, where everyone thinks bullseye is the best thing you can get if you don't know about it. But actually, getting loads of sixes or like four of a kind sixes, I think, is better than getting Yahtzee. So even though Yahtzee gets you 50 points, there are ways of getting more than 50. Wow. So, um, yeah, I mean, a little little Yahtzee tip for those people listening. Nice. Um, yeah, my my outsider, my long shot is Barrow to beat Bolton to nil at six to one. Um, just because, I mean, though I'm not going to go into my whole Rob Kelly thing again, because Ali, you've heard it too many times. But if anyone wants to know what I think of the um, Barrow caretaker manager, Rob Kelly, then listen to the Totally Football League show Extra Time where we preview this game. Um, but basically, he is, he's is he got quite a cool coaching background. He has got a pretty good record as being caretaker elsewhere. And he has a much better record in charge of Barrow this season than either Um David Dunn or Michael Jolly had. They won 1-0 in midweek, his first game back in caretaker charge, having managed two wins of out of three last time. They've only got 26 points this season, and Rob Kelly's been in charge for nine of them in just four games. They come up against a, a Bolton side who I'm, I'm not just, I'm not getting on board with this at the moment. Like, I'm not saying they're in any way a poor side, but it's not 
I don't think it's a case like we often see with some teams where they've suddenly massively improved and they've clicked and they're better. I think they're better than they were at the beginning of the season. But we've seen, you know, remember the South End game where it took a freak goal for them to win against Scunthorpe midweek. That was probably the most impressed I've been with them this season. But it, yeah, I mean, it was a good home win. But I, I don't think they're suddenly one of the best teams in the division. And I think Barrow have been unlucky at times this season and are always fairly defensively, well, under Kelly have been fairly defensively um, decent as well. So I think it's probably going to be a pretty low scoring game. I think Barrow are a shade of value under Kelly to to improve and, and to beat Bolton. And if they do, um, I think it'll be yeah, low scoring and therefore going for, for Tenil, um for my long shot, six to one. Yeah, I've decided to stick my oar into the Derby Forest game on Friday night and really went back and forth over this. My selection, a bonus selection, is Forest to win 1-0, correct score, at 6-1. to one. Um, It's very difficult for me to imagine this game being high scoring, not least because there's a bit of a thing about derby games in general and off the top of my head the last few years of this very fixture even when the teams have been quite good going forward it's rarely lived up to the hype I think it's fair to say in terms of spectacle Um, but these two teams aren't particularly good going forward what they are are both excellent defensively and from a forest perspective they're pretty much putting up the best defensive numbers in the league in terms of expected goals against since the turn of the year, which is pretty encouraging for Chris Hutton's team going forward. Uh, the last seven games they've played in the league, only one team has generated more than one expected goal against them. Um, they've only conceded seven in their last 14 in the league. And that is very, very impressive. Of course, Derby's defensive numbers are pretty good as well. Forrest are pretty grotty going forward still, uh, I'm sad to say. Not horrendous, but still... They haven't quite elevated that side of their game, put it this way. I actually think the two teams are quite similar, although I'm sure they wouldn't like me saying it uh, in in many ways. And I'm expecting a low-scoring game. Um, we know at the moment that the players are knackered, that it is impacting them physically, which reduces what they can do on the ball in an attacking sense, probably more than uh, on the defensive end. Um, being physically uh, tired impacts you, but being mentally tired as well leads to less imagination, I would say, less creativity going forward as well. Neither of these teams generate a lot of shots. So what I'm saying is two excellent defences, not excellent attacking teams. But I just lean towards Forest at the moment, and I think that they have the individual quality, boring I know, but it's true to nick a 1-0 win here. So this is the game we'll be watching in at Sky on Friday night ahead of an exciting segment where we're taking a look at four teams that changed manager this season and have massively improved. Chris Hutton's Forest are not one of them, which might be a little bit harsh. In fact, it's Mick McCarthy in Cardiff, Valishmail in Barnsley, Steve Cotterill and Shrewsbury and the Truman and Sellers show at Bradford. They're in our sights on Friday night. But before then, we'll be watching Derby Forest and it's my bonus bet that Forest will win that one. 1-0 one at 6-1 to one with SpreadX. What I'd love for you to do, George, is recap your selections. Yeah, the nap is Watford to beat Bournemouth. Next best, Tranmere to do a job on Leighton Orient. And then, just like you, Exeter to get a result against Crawley and the bonus Barrow to win to nil against Bolton. 
yeah, my selections are QPR as the NAP, Exeter next best with Northampton as well. So the NTT20 fivefold, which will be boosted and will be on the SpreadX site under football specials, fixed odds. You'll find it there if you want to get involved as well. Maximum stake of £5 is going to be QPR, is going to be Watford, is going to be Tranmere, is going to be Northampton and is going to be Exeter. So fingers crossed for a better week this week. My bonus is Forrest to edge it against Derby 1-0 at 6-1. Okay, quick pause from the regularly scheduled content. Uh, we had a review on our iTunes page the other day from someone called Mopi9. And we thought that the contents of the review merited uh, basically a response on the podcast, given what it says uh, about this betting show. The review was called Don't Take Us for Mugs. Uh, and it said, as a long-time listener, I've been moved to review by the unprofessionalism of betting show episode 22, Spread the Love. Uh, that was two weeks ago, this one. Firstly, Ali is clearly eating while recording a complete turnoff. A huge, huge apology if that was a huge turnoff, as it definitely is. Um, I have to be honest, Thursdays tend to be packed with recordings, quite busy. Lunch sometimes goes out the window. And on that particular Thursday, two weeks ago, my lovely aunt had sent me some flapjacks. George, and I made the mistake of diving in just before we started recording. <laughs> I thought that I would be able to edit out any nibbling sounds, but I clearly failed. So firstly, apologies for that. That will not happen again. Um, that must have been incredibly annoying to listen to. So apologies. Imagine if that was the end of the review and that's what we wanted to tackle. <laughs> well, it's a, that's a, that is a serious thing to say. And uh, I felt the need to respond to all of it. Uh, the second bit, George uh, says, George turned into comical Ali when promoting SpreadX and referencing his successful points by recommendations at the start of the season. What he omits to mention is that when recommending a buy of Solanke goals, he strongly talked down the prospects of Ivan Tony, now on course to be the championship's record scorer of modern times. Also, he spoke strongly of selling Huddersfield points with a view to town being relegation fodder. Not the case and not mentioned when celebrating Lincoln and Swansea buys at the start of the podcast. Spread betting is a risky enough enterprise without presenting audience with a false narrative by only highlighting winning tips. Would the influence of SpreadX as a sponsor contribute to this rose-tinted approach? If NTT20 were on TV or radio, Ofcom and or ASA would most likely want an explanation. This normally strong podcast is supposedly pitched at the educated football fan. Please do not take us for mugs. Um, I've responded to the bit about me eating during the recording. <laughs> um, why don't you take that second part? Yeah, I think it's really important this because um, when we first did the betting show, you and I spoke for quite a long time before actually launching it about the ethical side of things. Um, about a year or so ago, we got an email to the um, to the podcast email address just very politely telling us that they thought we should do more to promote responsible gambling. And since then, you, Ali, always give a little spiel talking about the, the risks involved. I think with SpreadX as well and what um, the reviewer mentions about it being risky enough, we totally agree. And, you know, I think hopefully the attempts to um, explain spread betting and the constant reminders that my DMs are open to ask any questions and stuff, I hope we do a good enough job in doing that and that continues to be the case if anyone has any questions you know i've had a few recently from people looking to close their positions on certain markets or limit their losses um that is always the case but um it, it's frustrating when there is a review that accuses uh some dishonesty when the content of the review itself is a bit dishonest to be honest because 
I've gone back uh, and listened to the pre-season predictions podcast and, you know, the, the review says what he admits to mention is when recommending the, the buy of Solanke goals, he strongly talked down the prospects of Ivan Tony. Unless I'm missing where I did that and I'd be surprised because at the time I was I was tweeting about him breaking goal scoring records in, in a fairly tongue in cheek way. I've gone back and listened and I use Ivan Tony as an example in explaining how spread betting works um, without mentioning anything as to his actual chances or if he's a buyer or a sell. So, I, I mean, by all means, point out to me where that was the case, but I can't find it. Also, he spoke strongly of selling Huddersfield with a view to town being relegation fodder. Not the case. Well, I mean, looking at what I advised, it was a Huddersfield sell at 56 points. The current point spread is 51, 52 and a half. So if you were to buy now and close your position, you'd be making 3.5 points profit on the bet, which is something that I've done. And I've got the the bet here. And at the moment, it's a winning bet. So a little bit strange as well to be accused of, of hoodwinking um, the listeners when the bet recommended was a winner. We've gone through the bets we recommended in that podcast, a, a, a buy of Swansea, where if you were to close now, it would be 14.5 points profit, a buy of Luton, which would be 2.5 points profit, a sell of Middlesbrough, which would be a three-point loss, advised to close for a profit early on in the season, uh, a Lincoln buy at 64, which would be a 19.5 point profit, a Bristol Rovers sell, which would be a nine-point profit to close, and a South End sell, which would be a 5.5 profit to close. So of the seven points bets, only one is set to lose at the moment. Uh, we did the player goal bets as well. Bayrak and Fenwa uh, sell. He's currently on naught. And then the two buys of Kiefer Moore and Dominic Solanke. Moore's already outscored his quote, and Solanke, I think, is, is nearly there too. So... It's a little bit frustrating. We put a lot of work into this and we really try our best to um, be responsible and to be open and to be transparent. Uh, so, yeah, it's it's a bit uh, it's a bit frustrating to see well to be accused of dishonesty here because um, you know in the past when we when we've tipped up losing bets we've always been honest about it. We still talk through our bets from the week before every week as well. So I really hope that other people don't agree. Uh, and fingers crossed, you know. Th- we're backing these ourselves. You know, we're not just doing this to um to, to get the sponsorship money in or whatever. These are our bets. Hopefully, they're helpful and hopefully the content's okay. We definitely don't want to give off the impression that our selections are all winners. We don't want to give off the impression that betting on all of the things that we talk about is going to make you very rich. That is not the case. It's not how we want this betting show to come across. So I I'm sorry if we have failed. In that regard, at times, uh, I think your back ref to those Lincoln and Swansea picks, which are doing very well, was was meant to be a sort of fairly humorous line about SpreadX wanting to to work with us again, despite them and um, maybe slightly misguided. But anyone listening with any thoughts on this matter, and trust me, there will be, I know there'll be many of you quite bored of this already. This is kind of self-indulgent to an extent, and um, we just wanted to respond. But if you've got any thoughts on the way that we do things, criticism whether it's constructive or whether it's not to be honest we'd love it if you told us directly uh, via dm or via email we're much likely to see it quicker than than this sort of um comment on our itunes page but also you know following that following discussing things with us which we're really happy to do obviously do go and leave a review on the podcast if you want to make your thoughts on it public that's absolutely fine that's your right whether it's nasty or not but just try and be accurate ideally in in what you're saying I guess is is what we would leave you with and please only listen to this podcast if you enjoy gambling and if you do so responsibly we can't stress enough how dangerous 
It can be if you're not disciplined, if you chase losses, if you bet more than you can afford to lose. And we'll try and do our best to, to, to continue to make that clear for those who uh, need that messaging. But for now, it's time for the weekend. Hope you have a really good one. Uh, best of luck with any punts this weekend. Let us know how you do at NTT20pod and we'll talk to you again on Monday.